Welcome to today's episode. I have a very special guest. I have been so excited because I got this great DM on Instagram and really sweet person by the name of Melissa Tasha said, Hey, I just did an episode on my podcast. Oh, that's my autism about the 20 warning signs. You might be an autistic burnout. And I just thought I'd let you know. And I was like, Oh my gosh. Okay. So I was driving somewhere later that day and I put it on in the car. I was listening to it and I thought, Oh man, this is fantastic. I love it. So I immediately reached out to Melissa and I was like, Melissa, I got to get you on the show. <laughs> Welcome to Mind Your Autistic Brain, Melissa. Thanks for being here. Thank you. I'm so excited to be talking to you. So Melissa, I love one of the, one of the phrases that you used in episode 23 for this. And it was like, did COVID break my brain? <laughs> yeah, did it? I can't tell. <laughs> I'm still trying to figure it out. There was one day where I had like a, a little tift with my partner and I got upset about something small again, because that just kept happening. That it was like little tiny things would just trigger me. I feel like my nervous system was just like, couldn't take anything else at that moment. Um, and my partner just was like, Hey, you know what? Like we need to figure out what's going on with you. Cause this has, everything has really ramped up. Like you don't seem like yourself. And I'm like, yeah, okay. You're right. Like something's happening. So I got on Google and just started searching. I was kind of searching for a therapist, but also I was like searching kind of just for answers and Googling. Like, I don't even remember what I was Googling. I was just trying to like put in my symptoms of what was happening or whatever. Um, so I, uh, came across this list of female autism traits, which I think a lot of people have seen this list, um, that I know of who are late identified. Um, I think it was by Samantha Craft. Um, so that's like, the one and we, yeah. that's a, I keep, I have that in a group cause it's such a wonderful list oh and it presents gosh. it in such a way that it's just like, <gasps> holy cow. <laughs> right. Yeah. And I was like, I really clicked on it because my daughter is autistic um, and was diagnosed four years ago. And so I was like, oh, interesting. Like I was going into it with the intention of looking at it as like a means to understand her better. So I was like, oh, let me read this. This is cool. Um, and I just started reading it and I was like, oh, this sounds more like me than like her, even like everything was just, I was like, wait a minute, this, okay. This is just like an anecdotal list of traits that somebody who didn't know what they were talking about made. Right. So that just, but that started me on a journey. It like piqued my interest and I was like, could this be a thing? And so of course I just started researching and researching and researching and researching and everything I found, I was just like, I just knew it was all so obvious. Like, you know, it's you like know. tell me you're autistic without telling your me you're autistic. I research and I research and I research. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, everybody that's listening today is just like, oh, I could so relate to that right now. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. And I've always been that way. I've always been like a deep dive research, everything sort of person. So um, I also didn't know that that kind of fit in with the, the realm of autism, but so yeah, it just sort of like went from there. I, I just kind of knew I was, I was, I was convinced. I was like, this sounds too accurate to be anything, you know, else. I just, I don't know. So I went to my partner a couple of days later after I had researched and I was like, sure. Um, and I was really nervous to tell my partner for some reason, I thought they might be like, Oh, that's, that's silly. Like you're not autistic. Like, um, even though they're generally a very like supportive partner and probably wouldn't say that even if they thought it. Um, but I was like prepared with like a list of like things that I like, all, really all your, your list of justification <laughs> yeah. for your own self-defense. <laughs> exactly. I was prepared to like plead my case, but as soon as I said it, um, they were just like, Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, that, I guess that does kind of make sense. And I was like, Oh, okay. I was prepared to like, you're so, like, Oh, well, I don't need this dissertation that I just wrote (laughs) (laughs) exactly this 100 page book I wrote um so they were just like well what do we do now like what what next and I'm like I don't know so that's when I just sort of started trying to figure out where to take things we're breaking down each one of the 20 warning signs I made a list from your list (laughs) cool I love lists I know lists are great, aren't they? <laughs> and, and that's one of the, the reasons that, that I wanted you to be on the show today, because you had some questions. You're like, I've been through all 20 of these things. I have ticked the box on, you know, over half of the items that we listed here. Yeah. And, and you were like, but I don't know. I'm still exactly. not sure. It's like, why am I in burnout right now? If this is definitely burnout, I've ticked all these boxes. And if I ch- check all these boxes, then surely this is burnout. But why right now? And one of the other things that you had mentioned is like, well, I don't feel like I've been pushing through or heavy masking. You know, there's nothing that I can pinpoint in my life that was, that would have brought on burnout. And you're like, why didn't it happen earlier? Yeah. So these were really great questions. And I think that so many people come to these and it was something that took a little while for me to unpack in my late identified journey. Because once I learned that I had alexithymia, and it's like one of the things that you mentioned when we were talking about number seven and emotions, and you're like, oh, yes, like I either feel everything or I feel absolutely nothing. Right. That is a very common experience in the autistic community. Yeah. And what's interesting is that the majority of us who have that experience have some degree of alexithymia. Oh, interesting. So alexithymia can feel like, I mean, there's like the textbook definition of alexithymia is that you, you can either feel everything or feel absolutely nothing. But the difference is where the challenge or the struggle comes in. The difficulty is taking either that overwhelming amount of emotions or the I'm not experiencing anything to even recognize what a feeling might be, but then not being able to identify and then articulate that to transfer whatever those physical things are. 
Now, this was something really interesting that I've learned along the way. We feel in our body. Mm-hmm. Our body feels first. And then our emotions are formed in our brains. So it's a physical experience that is then translated into an emotion in your brain, in that thought. And it's between that physical experience of emotion, feeling something, and then the connection to identifying what that emotion is in the thought realm, the cognizant, I am consciously aware of what this physical experience is, and then being able to transcribe it and articulate it. That's where alexithymia challenges happen. Got it. And what was really interesting is that I would have these experiences where I would feel everything, but it was like, I could identify the really big stuff, like the really huge, like easy to identify either scared or mad or sad, but it was like all those in between things, those nuances of feelings, or if something was similar, if it felt the same, because certain aspects of fear and excitement can feel the same in your body. Mm-hmm. So then I'm kind of like, well, am I scared or am I excited? I don't know. And it's like, well, is it depression or is it anxiety? Because, you know, then you've got all these other little factors. And I found too, and this was, this was really interesting. Rachel Dorsey talks about this. She's an SLP and she talks about it on her channel. She's autistic as well. She's just fantastic. My friend, Allie Arena introduced me to her and she was having a discussion with Allie and they were talking about sometimes just the misnomer that has happened in our lifetime. And so we have experienced something and we've described it the best we can to someone else. And then they say, oh, that's anxiety. Oh, that's depression. And so we're like, oh, okay. And then you come to find out that, you know, what you described and what you experienced for you wasn't anxiety. It was excitement. You were excited or nervous about something good, which was something that kind of happened to me. And Rachel was talking about that. And I thought, oh my gosh, that happens. That happens to me. Oh my gosh. I've had things where I've experienced something and I was trying to describe it to another person. And they were like, oh, wow, you had an anxiety attack. And I'm like, did I, what are you talking about? (laughs) And then you start going, oh, look at your face. Okay. What you thinking? Um, no, this is just bringing up something interesting for me because, uh, (laughs) um, I just feel like a lot of the stuff that I'm finding out is autism or some of the stuff I'm finding out is related to autism. I often kind of just related to trauma just because I did have sort of a... (laughs) it's, it's complicated, but I have complex PTSD just from the way I grew up. Um, and so some of these things that I would automatically just peg as trauma responses or the way my brain worked things out. Sometimes I was like, oh, that's just related to my trauma. Um, but then sometimes now I'm just like, oh, I, I don't think that is a trauma response. And some of the things surrounding I'm sorry if you can hear my rooster he's like standing right outside my window crowing that's okay (laughs) I love it I love it um 
so some of my emotional responses or lack thereof or confusion about my emotions have sometimes felt like trauma response because, um, because I always felt kind of like I couldn't trust myself. Like I couldn't trust what I was feeling. Like, like, am I angry? Should I be angry? Like, is this an appropriate situation for me to be angry? Like, is this actually what I'm feeling or is it something else? Like all of these questions that would come up in my mind whenever I would have a feeling and then I would almost like gaslight myself into thinking I was wrong about my feeling. So that just sort of circles back around to the whole alexithymia thing that maybe that is what's going on. Is it possible to, because there are sometimes, I'm wondering if it's possible to have that part of the time, but then there are sometimes I feel very aware of what I'm feeling. Like I can, I can point out what I'm feeling very easily, but then there are other times where I'm like, what's happening? Like, I just feel feelings in my body and or like you said, it's like all or nothing. Um, so yeah, I'm curious about that. Yes, most definitely. And the aspect of trauma, PTSD and complex PTSD, as I'm sure you know, is much more prevalent in the autistic community than yeah. the normal community because our perceptions and our sensitivities are so much more heightened. Yes. So we are more susceptible to experiencing that. And that's something that I'm so glad you brought it up. Well, it's, I really am because that's something that happens quite often. The thoughts and what you were just talking through is, you know, Hey, I just identified this as my trauma response where now I'm really reflecting on it. I'm seeing that it's just my autistic experience of how I process and perceive the world. Mm -hmm. And you also get to this point where it's like, can I disconnect my trauma experience from my experience as being autistic? Because really, can you? I don't know. I mean, I've, I have PTSD. I have trauma experiences in my life. But this is one of the things that it, as a late identified person, this is really the complexity of it for us mm -hmm. is that we've got so much to unpack. And, you know, I've talked about this on the show previously, and I love that you brought it up again, because I think it's one of the things that's really valuable to recognize, especially in our late identified journey. And as we're starting to identify, am I in burnout? Have I been in burnout before? And I just didn't realize it because burnout can look differently each time. It's not going to present in you the same way every time because you are different throughout your life. And the impact of what's happening in your life is different. And one of the things is that in burnout, when you hit burnout, sometimes, you know, you're like, I, I have these symptoms of depression, but I'm not depressed. But when you have alexithymia, you also sometimes don't recognize that the stress is happening. And it's like the slow buildup and it's, it's like your brain doesn't recognize it yet. And it's mm. like your body recognizes it, but your brain hasn't registered it yet. This is how I've experienced it. And so it just builds up and builds up and you're, 
you start to just sort of keep suppressing it and you keep suppressing it on this sort of subconscious level. And you're just like, yeah, no. And you dismiss it. And what happens is I think part of the reason that that occurs is because of self-integrity, the trust. And that's one of the biggest things that I discovered in my late journey. And it took a lot of layers to get to this realization for me. And this has just been in the last year or two. I didn't trust myself anymore. I had lost the self-integrity to believe that what I felt I was feeling and what I would start to doubt and question everything. I'm like, oh, I can't. And I'd have to have an explanation. Like I would have to have some concrete proof to justify my own experience. Mm. Is that what you've kind of been struggling with? It sounds like. Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, my whole life and also being a person who has been labeled my whole life as overly sensitive and then told that so many times over like, oh my gosh, you're making this a way bigger deal than it is. Oh my gosh, you're overreacting. Why are you so sensitive? So now when I do actually feel a feeling that also has me questioning it, like, am I overreacting right now? Should I be feeling this, this big? Um, Where I think you sort of hit the nail on the head there. It's like trusting yourself to know that what you're feeling is what you're feeling and it's valid is very hard if you've had that experience. And I know a lot of autistic people have had that experience of being told that they're too sensitive. They're making too big of a deal out of it. You know, why don't you calm down? Why don't you just relax? Like those sorts of comments where you're just like, Ooh, I am a lot. (laughs) And then you get into the habit of of doing that, of actually like making making yourself smaller because you're like, I'm a lot to handle. I need to, um, make myself smaller, make myself more manageable. And it's, it's sad because I look back and my last relationship that I was in, um, before this one lasted five years. And I did a lot of that and it was really, looking back, it's eye-opening because the last year of that relationship, um, I was having panic attacks all the time and I could not figure out why, like full on, like you think you need to go to the hospital panic attacks. Cause you honestly feel like you're dying. Um, and I did go to the hospital for one of them. Cause I was like, my heart was racing so fast and I just, I felt like I was going to die. Um, and I just was like, what is happening? Uh, I don't feel like I'm in a bad place. I'm all of a sudden just panicking all the time. Um, but now looking back, I can totally see that I was, my body was telling me like, hey, you are, this is stressful, just suppressing everything and trying to be someone else all literally all the time because my previous partner did make me feel kind of like I was too much. And so I was constantly trying to just be smaller, be, be more manageable. Don't, don't rock the boat. Don't say anything that's going to be misconstrued. Um, and thankfully, I mean, this person wasn't horrible. Like I don't want to make them out to be terrible, but like they weren't the right person for me, obviously, if they thought I was too much to handle and, and made me feel that way. Um, but I'm like, your body knows there's a book, the body keeps the score. <laughs> exactly. there, there, the, the title is so, so accurate. 
And for so many of us who, who have alexithymia and we're late identified, this is one of the biggest challenges um, that we face our whole life, not realizing it, is that, you know, you go through this as humans, we go through this indoctrination process through our childhood. And we are simply a sponge. We're a recorder and we're taking in everything that everyone around us is saying. And we're learning about what the world is to us from those around us. So Mm -hmm. we learn what we're supposed to do, what we're not supposed to do, what's acceptable, what's unacceptable, who's a good person, who's a bad person. How do I operate safely in the world? Because our parents are essentially teaching us these things to protect us, to keep us safe so that we can thrive and, and grow up. However, for those of us who are autistic, didn't know it, parents didn't know it, and we are very sensitive. We feel things very deeply. We experience things in a very different way than those responses that we get when we're just being us as little kids unfiltered in the world is don't, don't overreact. Why are you so upset? Don't wear your heart on your sleeve. All of these things we take in and it becomes part of our identity. It's who our identity comes from the external world when we're growing up. You know, we're not consciously aware of this, but that's where our identity comes from is what does the world say about us? What is the world telling us who we are? And we take that information and then we go forward and we're like, well, if I'm too much, if I overreact, if I'm too sensitive, then I'm not what I'm supposed to be. So in order to be who I'm supposed to be, that people say I'm supposed to be, to match this social norm and this ideal, I have to change who I am. That who I am is broken, that who I am is not worthy, that who I am is not good enough. And so we end up getting to this point in our life in late identification, we're just like, When you learn you're autistic, was this like a big one for you, Melissa? You're like, holy crap, I'm not broken. Oh, absolutely. And that's been the best part of this whole thing is just being able to reevaluate my whole life through a totally different lens because uh, there were so many years, I mean, decades of my life where I was trying so desperately to just like fix myself and I would you know, try and read like self-help books. And, you know, I did therapy for a while. Like I, I was doing all of the things, um, especially in my thirties to kind of try and, as they say, like make myself a better person, like become a better person. And I don't know, it just, it never seemed to, to work out the way I wanted it to. And now I'm like, I am a, I already am a better person. Like, yeah, there's Thank always you. room. Yeah. You're there's, already always perfect. Room. there's always room for growth. Obviously it's like, we all are on journeys where it's like, we're always trying to better ourselves and like make better choices and learn things and grow and become a better human in general. But it's like, I was looking at it more as like, it's like, I had this personal vendetta against myself. It was like picking out all my flaws and being like, okay, okay, here's this one. How do I fix this one? And just looking at yourself as the deficit model. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And now I can just be so much more um, 
forgiving of a lot of things and just give myself more grace, um, which in turn has helped me feel a lot less stressed because instead of trying to change and suppress all of these things, I can just look at it now and be like, that's kind of where the, um, or that is where the title for my podcast came from. Just looking at something and being like, oh, that's just my autism. (laughs) I love it. Oh, that's just my autism. That's not me being, you know, out of control too much, too sensitive to this, to that, the other thing. That's just my autism. And I can just like, look at it now and be like, okay, it's fine that this is happening. Like, what am I going to do? How am I going to deal? Instead of being like, gosh, you're failing again. Why is this happening to you again? Why are you reacting this way again? Why is your body not cooperating? Why is your brain not cooperating? And just being so hard on myself all the time. Because it's real easy to hold on to something that's broken because our brain wants to seek safety mm-hmm. first. So we want to do whatever is comfortable that we've always done. And then our brain second conserves energy. So then it's going to automate everything to a subconscious habit. So a belief is simply a thought that you've had often enough that it's become a subconscious habit. Yeah. The belief is simply a thought you have over and over again. And if we start to stop and say, hey, whoop, throw the brakes on a minute. Let's talk about this. And we shift some of the thinking. We shift some of the beliefs that we have ourselves because we've gone for decades holding on to all of these different beliefs about who we are and who we're supposed to be. Mm-hmm. And it's just not true. Yeah. Because now we've got this whole new set of information that says, hey, you're autistic. Your neurodistinct brain just perceives the world differently. You process information differently. And it's not just your brain, it's your body. Your body is neurodistinct as well. And you can't just try and separate the two because that's not how we work. We are one unified being. And when we take the time to do that and have these conversations, that makes a difference. Yeah, totally. So one of the things that you brought up that I thought was really interesting is you were talking about, you know, when you were going through the sections uh, where you're talking about loss of skills and abilities and you were like, I don't know, I mean, focus. And you were like all these things that are kind of related to sleep. So you weren't really sure about that one. This was an interesting one because this takes a little bit more of a deep dive. Like if you've got to really say, okay, what skills and abilities have I lost? Because it's a little different. Because remember burnout as defined between neurotypical burnout and autistic burnout. The biggest difference is that the loss of skills or abilities in an autistic burnout can be temporary or permanent. The loss of skills and abilities can return, but sometimes not to the degree before you hit burnout. So sometimes they can be a, dec- a decrease in your skills or abilities that return when you start to go through restoration. Mm-hmm. So skills and abilities can be kind of hard to identify. And so I understood why you said, I'm not so sure about this. Cause you know, you're like, okay, I've got decreased motivation, which is a big one. Like that's yeah. one of the biggest um, complaints that people notice uh, when they're in autistic burnout. They're just like, I, I just can't get motivated. It is like executive dysfunction storm over here. It's like, I know I've got these things to do. I cannot make myself do it. It's like, I'm frozen. 
It's like, I'm stuck. And it's even more frustrating because then you're sitting there and if you've got this high speed ADHD part of your brain with your autistic brain, they're all like in the soup together. And you're just like, I know I got to do it, but I can't make myself do it. And I'm just like freaking out over here because I know that I've got this structure, this thing that I've got to get done. And it's like this need to complete a task, but you just can't make yourself do it. And then you go through the shame storm of what's wrong with me? Why can't I do this? Why am I so screwed up? What is broken with me? What is wrong with me? And you just go down that dark hole, right? Mm -hmm. So then you start to feel really crappy about yourself. And it's just, it's this horrible storm. It's like, it's like what they call like one of those great storms where like three hurricanes come together, you know, and it's like, that's how I picture it in my brain. It's like the Venn diagram of hurricanes sometimes when you get into this. So identifying those skills and abilities, a lot of it is related to sleep. Mm. One of the biggest things that I noticed, and I've spent the last year researching this um, because I have released a course called rest is more than sleep because sleep is really critical, but there's so much more to sleep than just closing your eyes. There's other forms of rest. And especially for us as autistics that are really critical to our every day. One of those is sensory rest. Mm -hmm. And it's one of the things that once you start to identify all these different areas in your life of rest, you can start to see where it's impacting you in your day. And a lot of the loss of skills and abilities comes from the lack of rest in these seven areas and a lack of good, deep quality sleep. Because what I've noticed and the data that I've been collecting is that in burnout, your sleep is disrupted more than any other time. And if you look back, and I started to notice this, if you look back into your previous burnouts, as you start to identify them, because it takes a little bit, takes a little unpacking and digging. As you start to unpack these, you'll notice that your sleep quality during burnout is so much less. And it's times where you almost don't remember it. You have no long-term memory, or you really are struggling to remember things in the short term. And it is directly correlated to your sleep being affected. And Mm -hmm. it's sort of like what comes first, the chicken or the egg. You know, or am I not sleeping because I'm in burnout or am I in burnout because I'm not sleeping? Mm-hmm. And it, it all kind of ties together. But what you start to notice is that those skills and abilities that aren't necessarily symptoms of sleep deprivation, but it all sort of ties together in a lot of ways that the sleep, because you're usually not getting good quality sleep and burnout, you're also finding that those sleep related symptoms, those functional skills and abilities that are that are related to sleep are some of the biggest ones impacted. Let me ask you a question. So if you look back on your life and I asked you, can you think of a time when somebody came to you, a friend or somebody, and they were like, Hey, do you remember when we did so-and-so? And And you're just like, "Uh, does that happen to you? You have sections where you're just like, "Mm -hmm." yeah, which is, yes, I do. Definitely. This just happened with my son the other day where he was like, do you remember when this thing happened? And I was like, what? No, but also for certain other things, I have like a very good long-term memory for 
a lot of, I can remember very early memories in my childhood. I can just, I can remember a lot of things, but then there are other things that are just like blank spots where people will bring something up and I'm like, what? Are you sure that was me? Cause I don't remember that at all. And then the really bad part is when they show you a picture and you're there with them and you're just like, oh, I kind of remember that. And then, you're, then it kind of starts to trickle back in. Yeah. So don't feel alone because this is kind of normal in our world, world. Okay. So mm-hmm. I remember, I have almost a photographic memory when it comes to certain things. I have an intense photographic memory of situations almost to the point of like synesthesia where I can smell it. I can feel it. I can taste it. I'm there. I remember there are other times in my life where it's just like a blank void and it can make you feel totally nuts. Right. Mm -hmm. Yes. And the sort of the, the crappy part is that if it's somebody that you love and you really care about and they come to you and they say, Hey, remember when we did so-and-so and And you're just like, yeah, no, (laughs) nope. I have no clue that is not ringing a bell and they keep talking like they're going to juggle your memory. And you're just like, not, no, sorry. They show you a picture or they say, you know, Hey, so-and-so was there. And it's like, and then the other person starts talking about it. They remember it. And you're just like, Oh my God, am I just losing my freaking mind? <laughs> what the hell is wrong with me? And it's scary. Cause you're like, how did I go there? How did I experience this? I was with other people and I don't remember it. And if you really start digging, I found that usually it's when I was in an autistic burnout, I wasn't getting good quality sleep, that those memory storage things weren't happening. Well, here's the crap side of it. Okay. This is the really bad part of when this happens to us and we don't realize it is there's this unspoken communication that happens with that other person who says, Hey, do you remember this? And they are so excited and this, an important part of time that they spent with you and you don't remember somewhere on an sub unconscious subconscious level, they think that you don't care. They think that they aren't important to you, that what you did together didn't mean anything to you because you don't remember it. Yeah. So then burnout is now affecting your relationships. <laughs> it's mm. it, you know, there's so many layers to this and identifying burnout isn't easy. It's not easy. And there's so many layers to it. But I will tell you that once you start scratching the surface, which you've done, you went through the the top 20 warning signs and and you went through them one by one. And, you know, when you were talking about number 10, disconnected to self or others, you're like, well, I don't feel disconnected from myself. I feel more in touch right now than I ever have before, which is great. But there's also that other side of like, you're, I, I feel connected to my family, but I feel totally disconnected from other people, you know, and that's just sometimes part of it, but there's also, it ebbs and flows. All of these things that are listed in the top 20 warning signs, these are just top 20. There's like a whole laundry list of these that go deeper for each one of these things. You know, if you're having difficulty waking up, it's usually because you're not sleeping throughout the night and you were like, you know, yeah, I do wake up throughout the night. And then sometimes you're laying there and you're like wide awake and you can't go back to sleep. It's like an hour, hour and a half, two hours, three hours. And all of a sudden you go to sleep and then 30 minutes later, your alarm goes off to get the kids up and you're just like, oh my God, what happened? Yeah. And you're in this constant 
cycle of not sleeping and you're so in the daytime, you're just functioning on fumes. You don't have the energy, the resources to, to do the things sometimes that you need to do to get yourself back into balance, which is really can be frustrating in itself, which is why I was so glad that you said, you know, Hey, I've got the bird out the balance workbook, but this is just too much right now. So I've gone in and, and I'm reworking this so that, Hey, if you're in burnout and you just, you just need that one simple thing to kind of get your feet underneath you and get some energy back so that you can start taking the steps to, to go through and really reclaim and rebalance your life. Thank you. You have inspired that. <laughs> oh, that's good. Yeah. And like, I, I glanced through everything and I like fully intended to like work on it, but then it's in my queue of like <laughs> a million other things that I'm intending to work on pretty soon. And it's like, this has always kind of been a running theme in my life. I do always have like a to-do list that's a mile long and I sort of just check things off as, as they're according to priority or whatever. And as they get done and whatever, but like, I'm finding it harder to get to those things or complete those things, or even prioritize what's more important where I used to be a lot better at that. I used to be able to just sort of organize and get things done and have a productive day. And lately productive days feel like they're coming few and far between. And I'll have more days where it's like, I had a day like this, um, a couple of days ago, it was actually the day after I got my diagnosis and there was like the surprise ADHD diagnosis in there. And the next day I had like a terrible executive functioning catastrophe of a day and just like, couldn't get, I felt like I just spent the day, like basically walking aimlessly around my house. Like I know I did stuff, but I couldn't really figure out what I had done. I don't feel like I did anything productive. It was like a lot of little, like I'd start a little task and then I would get onto another thing. And then I'd just be like, distracted. And, and I was like, Oh, I'm really actually feeling that ADHD diagnosis right now. I think this is what's happening right now. Cause, and at the end of those days, you can feel terrible about yourself because for me, like, since I was a little kid, I have always been hyper aware of the fact that we only have a limited number of days on the earth, right? Just even as a kid, I shouldn't have been thinking about this as a kid, but I was for some reason um, where it's like, it's always seemed very important to me to feel like each day counts. And so when I have a day where I feel like I got nothing done and I just sort of flitted around my house and dilly dallied and didn't get anything productive checked off. And then I'm just like, what a waste of a day. But it's funny because when you're in that, because I always try and then like make a plan, like, okay, next time this happens, what am I going to do? And I'm always like, next time this happens, I'm just going to ditch my day and go do something fun. Like for myself, go for a walk, go, you know, get something to eat from my favorite restaurant. Like do something like that. But then the next time it happens, I can't release myself from the responsibility and like from the pattern, because here's the autism side coming out. It's like, I had planned my day to look this way and to spontaneously just be like, ah, I'm not going to do any of this stuff. I'm just going to go do this other thing instead. I can't do that either. So it's like the two sides of my brain 
fighting. And in my, the most recent episode of my podcast, I did come up with this like metaphor where it's like, it's like it's ADHD and autism are like two siblings. And sometimes they get along and sometimes they fight. And it's like on those days they're fighting. Cause I'm like, I need the structure. I need the routine. I need to get my list done. I need to have this day go as I envisioned it in my head, or it's very upsetting. But the ADHD is like, Oh no, we're not going to do that. We're going to be distracted and we're going to not be able to start the thing that needs to be done. Instead, we're going to do this other thing that's less important, but we're only going to do it halfway. And it's like (laughs) causing further frustration and anxiety. Exactly. So, but it's, it's good that (laughs) now I at least know why this happens to me. Right. Like, yeah. Whereas six months ago, I just would berate myself and be like, Oh my gosh, what is wrong with you? You know, where now I'm like, oh, there's nothing wrong with me. My brain just malfunctions sometimes. So there's a way to get your siblings to get along. Mm. There is a way to create harmony between the two. Oh, and you tell. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you brought it up and you covered it so beautifully. You have described it so well. I couldn't have done it better myself. But there's the there's the point of, well, now that I know this, now that I know I've got these sort of two sides of, of how my brain operates, you know, and it's sort of like learning to drive a manual and learning to where the, the clutch and the gas meet so you can shift gears, right? Mm-hmm. So how you learn how to shift gears in this stage where you are right now, if you guys are listening out there, pay attention. This is a really big one. This was the biggest shift that made all the difference for me. And it's a process that takes a little bit, but it's like, once you open the box, once you start to see this, it's so much easier. It it really makes a difference. It's that you have to look at what do I believe? What do I believe my day is supposed to look like? What are the beliefs about? I believe that there are a finite amount of days in my life and each day needs to count and be productive. Okay. You believe that that's a belief that you hold. We'll dig deeper, look at that, re-examine that belief and say, what, because I believe that, what is it that I'm doing that makes me feel like I have lived that day fully? Because you do have these internal, quiet, unspoken, subconscious beliefs that are telling you that you are you have ascribed to in your life that say, I have to do this, this, and this. I have to do this, this, and this for this day to be considered productive. And then I haven't just flitted away and been an executive function nightmare mm-hmm. yeah. and wasted my day. Cause that's how you're thinking. I've wasted my day. Cause I haven't done X, Y, Z. And that's in the doing, but that's not in the being who am I being? Mm-hmm. And that goes to the deeper belief. And you have to look at, sure, we all have finite days. We all do. I mean, the next hour isn't guaranteed. I don't know what's going to happen. I can plan it. I can have an idea. But where the belief comes in and where you really get stuck and where I got stuck for eh, decades and, oh, treating myself and talk, the self-talk to myself was really horrible because like you, I'm like, over high achieving and I've got those goals and those to-do lists. And what do you believe about yourself? 
how are you valuing your existence based on what you're doing versus who you're being? Mm. Are you getting your value, your self-worth from what you accomplished on your list that day? Yes. <laughs> the answer is yes, but it, it, I need to get away from that. You're right. Um, but what, the question is why? And is it true? Yeah. Why and is it true? Mm, yeah. That is a, an interesting way to approach it, for sure. Yeah. So if you could look at your day and quality and the definition of your day, how you look at your day isn't defined by how many things you check off of your list. What would be possible in that day? How would you feel in that day? What would be important in that day? Yeah. Yeah. And I've definitely tried to kind of talk myself out of feeling bad with that tactic, like, like the things that needed to be like, they're going to be there tomorrow. It's not like just because I didn't get something done today, it's not going to happen. And I've failed at life or whatever. Um, I think also partially um, the, the upsetting thing about that whole loop that I get in is like, not only did I not get my to-do list done, but then I didn't do any, I feel like I didn't do anything else really meaningful. Like, and this is another thing where I, I get myself in trouble by looking around and comparing to others. It's that whole comparison thing where it's like, um, a quote unquote normal person could just like call a friend and be like, Hey, let's meet for lunch. Let's, you know, let's, to go shopping or whatever normal people do. I don't know, <laughs> but, um, but I also like have no ability or even sometimes desire, honestly, to do that either. And so it's led me to have the belief sometimes that I'm broken on both sides. Like I can't stick to the structure sometimes, but I can't be spontaneous either. So it's like, what am I even doing? What, what is my existence if I can't be either of these things? Um, and that's sort of like a weird, hard, and this isn't every day that I feel, this is just on those weird, bad days where I'm like not having a, a clear path and not able to get things done. But um, so yeah, I guess it is all about like the beliefs and the shoulds. And for me, the comparing, and I think a lot of us do that. And I do need to um, impose limits on my social media time and stuff just because of that, because I do see all of these people. And this happens to neurotypical people too, I'm sure, as you see all of these people out, especially Instagram is terrible. Like everyone's highlight reel of like, oh, this person's doing this and that and this and that. And it just makes you feel like somehow you're makes you feel even more othered and more different where you're like, Oh, well, I'm not doing any of that, but then do I really want to do one? I don't want to go 
out on a raft with 20 people for the day that sounds terrible like but then you right, look at the but picture you got caught in the comparison of well should exactly. I be doing that like should I want to have to do that so that I can post that highlight reel like everybody else so that right. I am not othered so much yeah or why wasn't I invited that's another thing where it's like I have people who are friends and I put air quotes around that because it's like are they friends I'm not really sure how to know that and that's part of being autistic I guess but it's like you see people out who you know and you're like wait why didn't why didn't I get invited but then on the other hand you're like I don't I didn't want to go anyway like I wouldn't have wanted to do that thing right but, but, but I then wanted it's to be like, able to say no <laughs> the invitation is nice um so there's I feel like there's so many layers to this but again it's like now that I know that I just have a different neurotype, it's allowed me to be a lot less hard on myself. And also back to the burnout topic, it's like, there have also been multiple times in my life where I felt like I was failing on a mental health side of things. Um, But now looking back and like, that's not even a thing, right? It's like, if I looked at someone else and they were having a mental health struggle, I wouldn't be like, oh, you're failing, get it together. Like you would never think that about someone else, but we're so much harder on ourselves. (laughs) I know it's terrible. I've been really trying to catch myself when I do that too. Like, Hey, if you wouldn't think this about someone else, please don't think it about yourself, but it's not always possible to do that. But, um, but now looking back to like you said, because burnout can appear so similarly to depression. I have had bouts of depression in my life. That's for sure. But like, there have also been multiple times where I do think I was just in burnout because it's like, it would just creep up out of seemingly nowhere because I couldn't attach anything emotional or tragic to it. Cause it's like, why am I depressed? Why am I having a hard time? Um, and So being able to give myself grace too with all of those past instances where I felt like there were periods of time in my life where I missed out on certain things because of just not having it together. But it's like, I guess for me, it's just important to know a why. So the times when I was truly depressed in my life, I knew why. And so it seemed okay. It was like, oh, well, that thing happened and I was depressed and it was just a situation. And but always the not knowing why is the thing that tends to bother me and stick with me. And I need the answer. And I'm like, why does this happen? Why does this come back? Why, how it's not predictable, like, you know, but putting it in a different pattern yet. Exactly. Cause I didn't know to look for that pattern because I didn't know it was a thing. Well, the burnout yeah. balance workbook helps you put those patterns together. Yeah. So there's something I'd like to go through with you because I think you're in burnout. All right. Most definitely. And I think the causations of it, you just haven't recognized, even though you've mentioned them. So these are just some things to consider. Okay. Because okay. this is something you'll, you have to determine this for yourself because there isn't, there is no diagnostic model for this, sadly. Yeah. I'm working on one. <laughs> I'm working on one. We're getting there. But here it is. We've talked about alexithymia. Mm-hmm. And you're, you're learning a little bit more about that. I think that's something to definitely investigate. Learn a little bit more about yourself. Keep talking about that and digging into it. Mm-hmm. So 
some of the things that you mentioned in your podcast in episode 23 was that all of the changes and the things you were experiencing in life. Now, as the mom of two little kids, I have now have teenagers. When I had younger children, this was a really big thing because I didn't know I was autistic. And just the day-to-day expectations of what you have to get to do just so you keep your kids alive and clean and the house somewhat put together, you don't realize. And one of the things that happens, especially to women, late-identified women, is because of the societal differences in how we are indoctrinated to be women in society, some of those societal norms work against us. And some of those things are that we don't recognize that just the day-to-day being a mom, being a wife or a spouse, you know, or a partner, and just doing all the things that everybody else seems to like be, it's no big deal. You get dinner cooked, you get laundry done, you get the house made up, you get the beds made, you vacuum, you keep the kitchen clean, you scrub the toilet. I mean, oh my God, some days it gets just, it's a lot, right? Uh Well, let's throw, you had a business that you and your fiance had built and it was a one year in, right? Uh So you're talking about financial stress. You're talking about all of the future worries. You're talking about all of the business worries that go with that. That's a tremendous amount of stress by itself that Uh you may not have processed in this way yet. Sometimes it's one of those things where your body's feeling it, but it hasn't registered in your brain yet. Cause you're just like, I'm just going to do what I got to do to get through. You're like in emergency response mode. And I know for me, when I'm in emergency response mode, I'm just problem solving. I'm just fixing what I need to get fixed to make everything smooth. And then when I get on the backside of it, that's when everything falls apart. That's when it all hits me. And then sometimes when it hits me, I can't even figure out what the hell hit me because I've been suppressing it, just trying to to fix it in emergency mode. So I hadn't allowed any of what I was feeling to register in my emotions. Mm. Just give that some thought. Mm -hmm. Think about you had COVID change. COVID was a big change in your family dynamic with school. The kids were home. Everybody was home. Oh, that was rough. Right. Mm -hmm. You're trying to entertain kids plus maintain food and cleanliness and laundry because it all escalated when everybody's home 24 seven, right? Mm -hmm. And you're in emergency mode. Your mom, you're the thermostat in the house and everybody's going to follow your temperature. So you being the fix it, I'm going to make it all work. And I'm just going to figure out how to do this and, and get back to some basis of normal. You weren't registering what was going on with you. Mm. And all of your, your body is feeling all of this. It's experiencing all of this stress. Your brain is going, I don't have time for that. Your brain is pushing it down. So when you do get on the backside of this, kids are going back into school. You guys have done some pivots. You know, he's going back to school. You've started back to school. You're picking up your, your older photography business and moving back into that. You've, you've done all these emergency things. You've got all the plans you're moving in. Now it's all catching up. Mm. And that happens quite often. 
Yeah. Especially as an adult, especially as being the, the fixer kind of person, you know, that's your personality. And what happens is you're like, all of a sudden you're just like, why the hell am I so tired? Why can't I seem to function? Why can't I seem to get, you know, it's 1030 in the morning. I've taken my daughter to dance class and I'm ready to go take a nap. Like I'm done for the day and it's 1030. That's, that's burnout. Um, yeah. And that makes sense because my, my line of thinking in this whole situation has been like, when I was in it at the beginning of COVID and everything was stressful and like there was months and months of just like trying to homeschool and trying to, you know, just all the things that you said, and plus then other things going on. And it's like, I felt, although that was the time in my life where I was like highly stressed and I kept having what I now know are meltdowns and a lot of emotional dysregulation and everything. Um, I didn't feel burnt out. (laughs) I felt like actually everything was heightened and, um, I don't know, maybe, yeah, it is just like, once you get on the other side and, you're able to just sort of like, <sighs> and then like maybe the sigh is too big because then it just like lets all of your air out <laughs> and you're like deflated because I am a very energetic person. I don't have a problem waking up in the morning. I'm a, I'm an early riser. I, I am a busybody. I like to have a full day. Um, I don't like to sit around like, and just like you said, it's like these days I get up and I do like a couple of things and I'm like exhausted and I feel like I need to take a nap and I'm like, what is happening? And I've, then I started blaming it on like the heat or like the air quality. And I'm like, it's hot right now. And I'm like the air quality is not good because there's fires. And, but then I'm like, no, cause there's other things going on too, aside from just feeling exhausted is just like you said, the loss of interest in certain things. Um, I love working out and I still have been working out cause I have to, for my mental health. Um, but I used to look forward to it and, you know, be excited to work, work out and whatever. And now I'd have to force myself. I literally have to be like, you have to Melissa, like you are going to feel <laughs> crappy you're gonna like you're gonna feel crappier if you don't go through it yeah like you need to move your body and sweat and breathe hard and all of the things like um and being social this is the part where I thought like maybe COVID broke my brain because um I I'm not like a highly social person um but I do have like a lot of activities that I used to do that allowed me to have like a social aspect of my life without like actually having to be social. Um, And so those all ended with COVID. Right. And it's like that period of time also made me realize like how few friends I have because once the activities were gone, I didn't really have a lot of like deeper relationships built where I could still count on those people to be in my life as a friend. It was like our friendship hinged on that. We had this similar activity that we participate in. And it's like, 
so that was all gone and it's been gone. And now like things are starting back up again like that, but I just kind of have no desire to, to do them. And being around people now is so hard. And I'm like, is this because of COVID? And I just wasn't around anyone for an entire year. Um, that now when I am around people, it feels a million times harder than it used to and a million times more draining than it used to. Um, and that's the part that I can't really sort out. I'm like, do I just need to force myself to do it more to get back in the, back in the habit and routine of, of seeing people? And also when I'm at home during COVID, like when I'm at home, I can just act however I want to act. Like I don't have to be anybody different at home. My family knows who I am. Um, but when I'm around, when you're around other people, you know, you have to put on this whole like thing and there's like preparation that goes into it. And like, do you really have to, I mean, you don't die. Well, you, you can argue, <laughs> exactly. you can argue for your limiting <laughs> belief all day long, but do you really have to? Well, no. Yeah. You don't have to. And so that's hard too, because it's, it was strange to figure out that I'm autistic during quarantine, because then I was like, oh, okay. And now figuring out how to like re-enter the world in a more authentic way. With this new knowledge. (laughs) Yeah. It's like, I'm like. And you're in burnout trying to figure it out. So yeah. Yeah. I'm like, what do, how do I manage all of this? And um, I think maybe in a way it just feels easier not to. It's like, oh, well, I can just stay home and stay away from everyone. And that's probably just easier. And maybe that's better for me right now. I don't know. Um, I, I do, I do like having certain social interactions though. So my life feels kind of like lonely without that. Um, I'm just very particular about. I'm the same way. I'm a social seeker, but I do it on my terms. Mm -hmm. So here's the next step. So we've identified that you are most definitely in burnout. We've identified that those things that perhaps you didn't realize were causing all of the stress. And it's, it's like a, it's like a beautiful Napoleon, you know, a Napoleon is just these beautiful layers of filling and flaky, crusty little cakes. Well, Mm -hmm. that's sort of how burnout piles up. It's this one layer after another. And all of a sudden you've got this, you know, 10 layer Napoleon sitting there and you're just like, I can't possibly eat that. (laughs) It's just too much. Yeah. When the first place to start is just the awareness and acknowledging and reflecting that, yeah, I probably didn't realize that all of these layers were building up because I was just in emergency management mode. And once I got to this certain point, my brain and my body went, oh, okay. And it just lets it all out. It, it's just kind of like taking off your bra or pulling off a girdle. It's just all hanging out. <laughs> it's like the tension and the stress is relieved. And it's like, I can breathe. I can let the girls out. And it's when you get to that point that your body says, okay, I quit. Mm. It's, all, it's, it's like waving the white flag. And it takes some time. You didn't get there overnight. Mm-hmm. This has been building up. You just weren't aware of it. So it's going to take a little time to restore yourself. It is mm-hmm. absolutely possible. Restoration begins with this. I'm doing my best. 
and my best will look different throughout the day. So your to-do list, okay, great. If I get one thing done today, today I'm defining my success by the fact that I get up and everybody's got lunch and they get to school. Yeah. That's my best today. And it, it, this was a, I feel like this might be the big shift maybe that you needed. I needed this because I, there's so many similarities in how you talk about how you think about life that I so was like, oh my gosh, that was me, girl. I was there. I'm still working on it in some places. And that big thing is that my existence does not hinge on what I do. What I accomplish in a day does not define my validity as a human. That's a really big one. It's a really tough, that's a big one. Because if you look back and you really start to unpick and identify who do I think I am and who do I have to be in the world in order to be Uh accepted, loved, validated, it usually goes back to somewhere in my life. Somebody told me I had to do all of these things to be worthy. Right. And living in that shame storm of not being good enough and just literally killing yourself physically and emotionally, mentally, spiritually killing yourself because you're trying to obtain these things to feel validated. Mm-hmm. Now you've got this whole new knowledge that I'm autistic. I experience things differently. I do things differently. I process things differently and I'm okay. That's all right. Yeah. But moving into those other realms. First, this burnout doesn't go away until you start to change things in your life that led to it. And one of those things is you don't rest. You don't rest and you don't play. Not on a daily basis, not on a, not on a regular basis. You feel like you have to earn it. Like you have to finish that to-do list and that laundry list before you can go play. Mm-hmm. That's not true. That doesn't work. It's not serving you. That is a broken belief that does not work. When you're in burnout, you have to get rest. Rest doesn't mean sleep. Sleep will come. Sleep really is sort of the outcrop of getting rest in other areas. Social rest is one of those things. Social rest doesn't mean unplugging and disconnecting from other people. It's actually the opposite. It means connecting. Finding connection social connection. One of the things that you lost that you mentioned was that you didn't have those social connections. That was one of your areas of rest that energized you that you no longer had. Think about sensory rest. When you're in burnout, your sensory sensitivities are heightened. I mean, like your daughter opening the soda can hurt your ears. It's like, you know, if I can hear Josh chewing, it's almost grounds for divorce sometimes. (laughs) When I recognize that and I'm just like, I want to slap your face if you chew loud one more time. Your face is making too much noise. When you get to that, you you just, I mean, I have to laugh. I seriously, I was late. I was like, oh boy, do I know that I've got to be careful because if I'm noticing this, it means my sensory sensitivities, I'm not getting sensory rest. So finding the ways to put that rest back in your life. So getting noise canceling headphones, getting some earbuds that funnel out some of the background noise, but still allows you to hear like with the little earrings and things, experimenting with different types, clothing, 
clothing makes a big difference. I didn't realize that for me. Sometimes I like tight clothes. Sometimes I like loose clothes. Sometimes the texture matters. The color, it has to be something that's pretty. It makes me feel good. Uh, We are visual people. Um, Your environment, simply looking at what do I have in my environment sensory-wise? What am I seeing? Is there a place for my eye to rest? Like when my entire house is blowing up and I could just barely function, if nothing else, I had to keep the bathroom and the kitchen clean. If I had those two places, I knew I could, I could deal with the rest of it. I could deal with the laundry room that looked like everybody's laundry hamper had just thrown up in there. You know, there's just mm-hmm. Looking for those signposts for you in your life and finding rest and restoration in these other areas. Cause it's not just sleep. It's you're getting active physical rest. You know, you're getting that 20 minutes of physical activity every day. And you know that that's really critical because that actually energizes you. And that lets some of that excess energy out so that you can focus and sort of get yourself going. For me, that's mm-hmm. a big one too. Um, looking at all those different aspects is really critical to burnout restoration. And knowing that you're not getting rest in some areas and seeing the result of how you're responding in your day is the clue. You have to be the investigator and the scientist in this to find what works for you. The burnout to balance workbook is going to take you step by step through those. You don't have to do all of it in one day. You don't have to do all of it one time. You can take one question a week. Take a bite. To start with one thing, because each one of the questions is set up to allow you to see something you weren't seeing before, to look at burnout, to put those cycles together, to put, to connect the dots, because there's going to be a pattern that will emerge. It'll help you. And in the way that I set it up, because I have alexithymia and it's sometimes really hard to identify some things for me. I set it up so that each section has a little bit added extra in that email that comes. So it helps you break it down and it helps you pick it apart. But you got to start with the one thing is that you're doing your best every day and your best is going to look different and allowing yourself to know, Hey, I am in burnout. This is not going to last forever. This isn't permanent. This is a temporary existence. But I know that I have to do things and I have to make some changes because what I did got me here and what I'm going to do and who I'm going to be is going to get me there one step at a time. So what are you going to do with your to-do list? Um, I'm going to not obsess over my to-do list. Um, I need to have it because otherwise I'll forget everything. Um, you can have it, but I, yeah, I need to maybe restructure the way I view the to-do list because right now it's like, it's like a contest to see how much stuff I can get done off the, how many things I can check off per day. And you know, what you're saying makes total sense. And I have realized that being, labeled in my younger years as lazy when I, I was never lazy. I just needed help, particularly in school and no one was helping me. Um, and so I was labeled as like someone who wasn't living up to her potential because I was 
quote, gifted, but was not getting the grades that people expected because I couldn't, I couldn't. Um, And also being unable to live up to what was expected of me at home, um, responsibility wise, made me, and being called lazy um, by a person in my life for many years. um, I think in my adulthood, I've been like fighting hard against that label because I took that in and I'm like, I have to prove I'm not lazy. And I've spent my entire adult life working so hard going to school, working sometimes multiple jobs at the same time, trying to be a good parent, trying to be, um, sometimes trying too hard to be a good parent, if that makes sense, as far as like, oh, it does. <laughs> when, when you grow up in an environment where you're like, I need to do better for my kids, but then sometimes you're trying to like overshoot because you're, you're just like trying to be the perfect parent, the perfect partner, the perfect you know, employee, the perfect student, the perfect, like everything. And like, I'm going to work. I'm going to show everyone that I'm a hard worker. I can do it. I'm not lazy. And it's like, yeah, no wonder I'm 41. And I'm just like, I, I feel like this is the first time in my life where I'm just, I haven't had very many things to do because of COVID. And that's been hard for me because all of these old feelings coming back of like, you should be doing something. Why, you know, you're being lazy, you know, all of those things are coming back. And I think I have still been trying to fight that. Um, but I need to, I, I need to get past that. It's, that is a thing that I need to, to do for my own mental health because I can't just keep burning myself out. And now I've gotten to the point where it's like, I have to turn it around because you have little people exhausted. depending on you. Exactly. Yeah. All right. So it's not about the questions you ask, but the quality of the questions. What would be possible? How would you feel? And who would you be if the word lazy? did not enter your voice, your thoughts, or your vocabulary. Because you know you are the ultimate productive person that you have already shown and proven beyond the shadow of a doubt that you can do it, that you are not lazy. So if you took that out of the equation and you stood in the knowledge that you are a productive, worthy person, what would your day look like? How would you feel? And what would be possible? Um, I feel like I would be a lot more fun. <laughs> I, I think I would give myself a lot more grace and allow myself to have moments of rest. So it's sort of funny to look at it as like, if I knew I was a productive person, I would allow myself more rest. What would but be those the first two. thing you would do? Um, like you've, you've worked your tail off. You've, you haven't, you've earned this somewhere in your mind. You think you have to earn it. I'm going to tell you, you've earned it. Mm-hmm. What would you do? What was, what's something that you would do? Ooh, that's hard. Um, 
I, I don't know. Oh my gosh. That's a hard, I can't even answer. Isn't that terrible? I don't even know what I would. All right. So you pick the kids up from school today. When you pick them up, if you know that you have already earned every privilege and every rest and every play that you could possibly get, what do you want to do with your kids? Well, I guess just relax. I don't even what, need. What would I that mean, look like? What would that look? I don't know. Just like sitting together and not really worrying about. Because I feel like even when I'm sitting and quote relaxing, I'm not really relaxed. My mind isn't. It's thinking about your to-do it, list. It's thinking about the to-do list or like, what do I need to do next? Like, what time is it? Is it almost dinner time? Is it, what do I need to the constant, constant, constant. I mean, I do have ADHD. So will that ever go away? I don't know. Um, but <laughs> it changes. Yeah. Um, I think that would be the big difference for me is like, it's not about exactly what I am doing in those moments of rest, because I do allow myself moments, right? Like I do art, like my art has been it's really pretty, by the way. Oh, thank you. Oh, I'm having so much fun with it. And that is the time during the day where, and I don't do it every day, but that is the time where I literally don't think about anything else because I can't, like I'm focused on what I'm doing. And so that's why it's been such a good outlet for me, but like other moments of rest where it doesn't take all of my focus. Um, I'm not actually resting. I'm thinking not about relaxing things. (laughs) Well, maybe that is a place to start. Yeah. Define what rest looks like for you. And it doesn't have to look like anybody else's. And rest doesn't also mean that you relax. Or sometimes rest is active. Sometimes rest is being engaged in something, being immersed and focused on your art. Sometimes it's Physically, you sat down and you just take a breather, but your mind's doing other things because there's something called the default mode network that our brain switches into. And when we're not actively focusing and concentrating on something, our brain goes into what's called the default mode network. And that is just simply what fMRI, functional magnetic resonance imaging scientists first discovered is they thought it was just static. They thought it was background noise that was being picked up in the readings. Mm -hmm. And one of the engineers on the project said, what if this isn't static in the reading? What if this is actually what their brain is doing? And they discovered that in the default mode network, mind wandering, you know, daydreaming and those things, when you're just sort of thinking about all the things, sort of not really paying attention is sort of reeling in your own head, mm-hmm. but you're sitting quietly or, or not on a specific focused task, that your brain only uses slightly less energy than it does when you're actively focusing and concentrating. Even in sleep, our brain never stops. It's actually working and doing more things when we're sleeping, but it's just focusing on different tasks. Our brain never stops. So really define what relaxing means because Mm. it's going to be something different because with ADHD, you know, being autistic, our brains are constantly going, Yeah, but our brains are always going. Some people just don't recognize it. So in that resting and relaxing, 
maybe just redefine what that means for you. Maybe look at it differently instead of trying to define it by what you think it's supposed to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, interesting. True. So you're saying that to rest and relax, I don't have to sit down and do nothing. <laughs> That's exactly right. How do you define well, yeah. it? Like, I don't meditate by sitting there and just going, mm. like that drive me completely mm. insane. I couldn't do that. I mean, I can sit still. I can. I have learned how to quiet the hamster wheel that goes at 900 miles an hour (laughs) with flames flying off the back. I have learned because it has been a skill that I've developed over the last few years, but it's Mm -hmm. been an evolution. I had to start with right now in this, you know, what I feel like is this overwhelming, never be quiet brain. What does it mean for me to relax right now? Well, I learned, I started with running. That was where I started. I found a rhythm in that. It was the, in that rhythm that I found some quiet. I was moving. I'm like, how the heck, how the heck is this possible? I'm running. That, that's not meditation. Meditation is mm, right. Sit with your legs crossed. But that's not what it was for me. That's not what it is for my friend Vicky and several lots of people that I've talked to, especially ADHD years. So yeah. looking at how you view what relaxation is to you and how you reclaim energy, because really that's what it's about. Rest is about reclamation of energy because we're constantly expending energy. But where are we garnering it? Where are we bringing it Mm -hmm. to us? And what does it look like? And it doesn't look the same for each person. And looking at redefining that in your life really frees you up. Because if you are constantly feeling like I'm not doing it right, I'm not relaxing right, I should be sitting here still and quiet, my brain should be quiet. And I should just like, you know, be like jellyfish or something. That it's not how you rest right now. That's not what works in your world because that's where you yeah. are. So where are you? What does rest look like? How do you define it? And how do you get it? Where are you starting to notice when I do this? This is where I feel a little more energized. This is where I feel really happy. This is where I feel like, Ooh, okay, I got the next little burst to do the next thing. Start yeah. to experiment with those things in your life. Like, mm. Take the kids to the park, go play and pick up dinner on the way home or do something super simple, you know, do something super simple where dinner's not on the table at six o'clock. So what? If everybody's throw the timetable out, you know, for a day and just feel it, feel what works and start to notice. And it, and it takes some practice. Yeah. Sometimes I have to do things a few times to see huh, okay, I actually do enjoy that. Or, yeah, yeah no, that's a hard no. I've tried it two or three times. And I, it doesn't even yeah. it. You'll know. But sometimes right. you got to do something more than once or twice. Yeah. And I'm wondering if part of the problem also with, with how I'm feeling is that now that I know I have ADHD, which I didn't know a week ago, um, I've read a little bit about it. And one um, trait of ADHD that really, really resonated with me was feeling depressed when you're understimulated. So 
you talking about this really is like a light bulb is going on because you're right. I've been looking at rest as like, I need to rest. I need to rest. And rest to me looks like sitting down, being calm, being quiet. Um, But what if actually that to my brain is counterintuitive? That to me is more stressful because actually the stimulation of movement and purpose and feeling fulfilled in that way is more restful to me in reality which I would damn Melissa look you at you just got there girl <laughs> <laughs> thank you you helped yes! you helped <laughs> um yeah that's how good huge. does that feel yeah that's how good huge. Like, did the weight just come off and you're just like holy crap somebody just turned on the floodlight yeah yeah now because- you're now you're looking at things now you're looking at things a little differently it makes total sense because this is the first time in my adult life probably that I've had this least amount of stimulation going on and I feel like this is the first time that I've been this stuck and tired and confused about what the heck is going on with me like but maybe I'm just understimulated but I keep trying to rest which is only understimulating me more because <laughs> so you were thinking opposite. that rest was had to look like this mm. so as part of the understimulation part as an adhd understimulation can lead to autistic burnout if you are both mm. it is that something I noticed for myself And I think it's something that has really impacted so many in the community because we are used to being busy. We're used to having that laundry list of to-dos. We're used to always being on the go because it's that dopamine hit. It's that stimulation that we need. Like the autistic side of my brain needs to have some quiet and it needs to have the structure and all these other things. And the ADHD side of my brain has got to have stimulation. It's got to have change. It's got to have those dopamine hits. And when so many big things change at one time and all of a sudden you don't have that purpose and that focus, you don't have that business to get up and go run every day. You got changes in your household. You got changes in so many things you're doing stuff, but it's not to the same extent or the level that you had before that can have the exact effect as overdoing for some of us. Yeah. And I think there's a key difference now that I'm thinking along these lines a lot about, I just look at being busy as being busy. Like to me, being busy isn't a bad thing, but I think just trying to be busy for the sake of being busy is different than before when I had a super full day and it was really busy, but it was all things that I found really positively stimulating and enjoyable. Whereas now I'm just like, I need to do something because I just can't sit here all day. But like some of the things that I'm doing are just for the sake of keeping myself busy. And so it doesn't feel positively stimulating it feels overwhelming and stressful it's like sex without the orgasm it's not fulfilling <laughs> there you go I like that. Okay. <laughs> don't call it like we see it 
Exactly. It's like, we're adults here. We can have this conversation. Why am I even doing this? Um, yeah, that's true. And then, you know, talking about stimulation though, it's also like, I need to be careful because there are very negative sensory experiences, or I can get into a situation where, um, I do feel a sensory overwhelm and then I'm like, Oh, I got to go home. And then I'm like super exhausted. And you know, there's like, so there's like a weird balance that you have to really keep track of and know yourself. And it's, it's like walking a tightrope. Welcome to rebirth as an yeah. autistic ADHD -er. <laughs> but this is really the gift. This is the opportunity yeah. is that you now have this knowledge that you've never had before. You have this opportunity right now you're in the perfect place and you're exactly where you're supposed to be. You're not behind. You're not trying to figure it out. You're exactly where you're supposed to be. And in this process, one thing at a time, one day at a time, getting to know yourself in a new way and looking at what the beliefs are that you hold, questioning, asking, are they true? Is what I'm believing or what I'm thinking about this, is it really true? And finding that connection with other autistic people is really one of the biggest things about uncovering some of this. Melissa, I hope that this conversation has been helpful for you and allowed you to process through what burnout is, what it can be, and maybe what it might be in your life and some of the layers and components to help you move forward. It has been eye-opening in many ways. And thank you. You're so wise. <laughs> You're like my Sherpa right now. <laughs> oh, Lord. I don't know if I'd look as cute in the outfit. <laughs> Podcast can be found on Anchor and all major listening platforms. And the title is, Oh, That's My Autism. And if you are interested in hearing the episode that we discussed today from her show, it's episode 23. And uh, she is based in Fresno, California area and has a beautiful photography business. So I'll be sure to link that below and you can check out her work as well.